The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Today's guest is my buddy, my friend, my artist friend, Jason Quignot. This is also, I'm ashamed, this is an episode we we recorded back in February of this year. And it's not really time-stamped in any way. This is just a conversation about art and artistry. Jason is one of the most incredible artists I've ever seen, ever. And uh, he has, he's a sculptor, and the, the type of work that he does, these large monuments that he, that he carves out of stone, and, and these are just some of the stone types that he works with, soapstone, alabaster, limestone, marble, basalt, and granite. I mean, this guy, when you visit him in his studio, and I've been fortunate enough to, to have quite a few cigars with him, uh, sometimes I'll just pop over because he's always working. Uh, he's got this amazing studio just covered in, in rock dust and massive hoists and things like that in an old industrial part of town on the, on the southwest side of Grand Rapids. And sometimes if I'm uh, free in the afternoon, I probably think, hey, maybe I'll go see my buddy Jason because uh, I know he's carving stone and he always has cigars and sometimes I'll go and have a cigar with him and we'll just, uh, he'll take a half hour, hour break and we'll just chat. And um, I've shot quite a few portraits of him over the years in that studio and they're all linked up on the Full Exposure Podcast episode page for Jason. You need to check out this studio and you need to check out his work because he takes tons and tons of rock and carves things into, uh, when he's finished, they are so polished and so beautiful and appear to be weightless and delicate. And I have no idea how this man does this with his bare hands. And speaking of hands, when you shake Jason's hands, holy smokes, you talk about your hand disappearing. Uh, This is a man who works with his forearms, his shoulders, his back, and these hands that he has that literally reshape rock into weightless-looking objects. And so please go, go, please, of any episode, please check out some of the portraits. I did take some new portraits of Jason in the studio, but the location portraiture I've done of Jason uh, at his studio are some of my favorites of all time. And... uh, He's just a cool dude. He's in, he's come through a lot in his life. He's been a sculptor since he's been 14. He's a proud Native American. And um, I've learned a lot from him about those uh, aspects of his art through uh, his purview as a Native American in society. We touch on that in this episode as well. And he's he's just one of the coolest, quietest, calmest people I know, but he's endlessly fascinating to talk to. And um, I hope you'll pick up a sense of that, a bit of our friendship in this conversation, but but also just his enormous talent. And he has come over a, a lot of adversity in his life. 
some of it self-inflicted. He, he had a wild child phase, as he refers to, and, and uh, is sober and has, you know, uh, on a journey of sobriety for a very long time now. And he's been enormously successful, especially the last five to ten years. Massive commissions, public works, um, uh, works for casinos and private collectors. And to see somebody from Grand Rapids uh, take work so hard and so diligently at his craft uh, and to continue to challenge himself as an artist has tr truly been such a great joy to watch. And um, he's only going to continue to ascend within the world of sculpture. And I think the world of three-dimensional sculpture is one of the hardest artist, artistic disciplines to actually make a living in. And Jason's um, been, been very successful. So without further ado, let's explore the bigger picture with my friend and uh, bad influence when it comes to cigars. I don't often smoke cigars. But uh, every so often when I do, you can bet Jason, uh, I'm probably looking at Jason while I smoke a cigar. And uh, I couldn't be more happy for that. So here we go. Here's Jason Quignell on Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. Yeah, so what is it about getting older that sucks with weight? Because we were just talking about we yo-yo. Yeah. Lose weight, put it back on. It's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> it never used to be like that. No. Did, uh, but you know, your, your work is so physical. That's what kills me is like, I know you have lifts. It's not your, you can lift three or four tons by yourself, but, um, you know, just your hands and the, the grinding of the tools. <clears throat> yeah. Yep, standing around, yeah, climbing up and down ladders and steps. Yeah, some days it's not. Some days I'm just sitting there in right. one spot, repetitively doing little stuff. Right. Um, tell me a little bit more about your studio because you have other people in there. I don't know if they're individual artists or if they're apprentices or they're your assistants for carving. Um, what's kind of the makeup of the guys that hang out there? Oh, they're friends mostly, and they are artists themselves, and assistants, and apprentices, some of them. <laughs> it's a full spectrum. Yeah. So the deal I got worked out with them is uh, they help me out. They get paid on, when I do a big job, they'll get a good pay, yeah. but when it's a... Uh, when I don't have jobs, they get to work out of the studio, make their own work, sell their own work, right. and have access to everything. They can pick up like some scrap that you're not using. Yep. You chunked off something. They can make. Uh, they can carve whatever they want. Yep, go hustle it off if they need to make some money. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just talk about that for a minute. Like just the freelancer ride of how long have you been a full time artist? I would say maybe 18 years. Okay. <clears throat> so what was your first big commission? Do you remember? Like your first big sale that you're like, you got enough cheddar out of it that you're like, okay, I think I can do this. Well, it was when I came to West Michigan. It was about 
20 years ago or more. And um, I was always doing this. I was always able to sell. And I was doing stage work with the union okay. at the Van Andel and Delta Plex and all that. Oh, yeah. And um, I thought, man, I should just go for it. I like doing it. I was doing that out of my garage. Yeah. And then, so I decided, screw it. I'm going to take the plunge. And anyway, and so do you remember where, where was that f- first couple of sales that happened? Were they just private collectors? Did it go to an institution or a museum or something? Uh, the CMU, they bought a couple of them from me. Okay. But like I said before, I was able, always able to sell them. Yeah. And, I always had that gift. Most of. artists can't do that, Jason. <laughs> Most artists can create like crazy. Can't find buyers, you know? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I, when you gotta, you gotta. Right. Well, and that's part of the hustle. But also I think, um, and I think three-dimensional work sometimes is harder to sell, you know, like sculpture. I think uh, even if it's this, you know, if it's small or if it's even big because... Um, some I think some some of the mainstream culture is like oh I, I you should buy a painting or you should frame a photo, and sometimes objects are not what they first think of. You know it takes almost like a real art collector to go okay I want I want this uh, other form that's three dimensional versus something I hang on my wall. Do you think you yeah. think there's anything to that? Yeah, and some people don't have room for sculpture. Right. You know it's a lot like you said it's a lot easier to put a painting up painting up on a wall and yeah sculpture there's uh got to find a certain collector right and then what you're talking about like sale wise you know selling them i found uh like more vertical sculptures sell better than the long ones really the horizontal huh Wonder what that is. Is there a whole uh, is there a whole human <laughs> psychology on that? <laughs> I have no idea. I just well, and I love okay. So one of my uh, so our, just to reset our history, we, we were trying to figure out just before the photo shoot started was that we don't, we're not really sure where we're, the first time we met, which I think is really cool in some ways. Like I don't remember the first time I met you, but um, I, I just. Uh, our history goes back a long ways. It's not like we see each other a lot, but like I always feel like there's my buddy Jason. He's an artist. He's in there swinging. He's uh, making his life through his hand and the stone and the earth and all this stuff. And I just always had tremendous respect for you as a person and an artist. And then I did a couple shoots at your studio and got to know you a little bit more that way. But... Um, in terms of, uh, I forgot where I was going. That was a great setup, and I forgot where it was going. What were we talking about just before I was uh, blowing smoke up your ass there? Um, where we met? Yeah, where we met, but before that, we was talking about uh, work. Oh, vertical. So one of the, my yeah. favorite pieces is in one of the photographs that I created of you the first time with a car in, the, um, in your studio, and it was this tall vertical uh, oh yeah, thing. and you've made other cubes like this, you know, or vertical, vertical. It was like a spinal looking thing. Yeah, and then you ex- described to me, and why don't you describe it? Because the carvings, you know, it represents a lot in nature, even though it's very abstract. Uh, you know, wind and yeah, so water. It was 
that little series I was doing at the time was, uh, and I still do the columns, but this was an, the first incarnation, and it was, uh, it was a square column, four sides. Each side had like a river cut going down the facing, mm-hmm. and then I um, <clears throat> detailed and uh, textured the sides yeah. so it looked represented water, wind, and earth. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just a contemporary take on some of my native culture. Yeah, for sure. Because um, some of your art is anamorphic. It's, it, 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 there's eagles and birds yep. and turtles and bears and things like that. But this abstract take you took uh, also, it has all that inspiration of uh, aspects of your culture and just uh, paying homage to the, yep. but, but it took on this other sort of thing. When you explain, you see the how the wind scrapes the earth and how the water carves the, the earth. Erosion, yep. The erosion, erosion. And I'll put a, uh, that portrait up on your portrait gallery on the website because okay. I think people. Uh, for one, we've done some really cool photo shoots in there. It's still some of my favorite uh, portrait shoots we've done. I've been in your location, and uh, but it'll give people an idea of what your studio's like. It's Come, the studio. It's the, the studio, studio man. Cool. <laughs> and if you can imagine Jason just literally carving rock with grinders and uh, stone and chisel and the amount Hammers of, and chisels. Hammer, yeah, stone and chisel. <laughs> it would be great <laughs> if you used a stone to break stone. But uh, it is something else. It's not a place, uh, you know, it's not a place you encounter very often. And it's such a, I don't know, it's just such a textural space to begin with. And... Um, but that work and the portraits I'll put up that we've done even six, seven years ago, and then we did another one maybe three or four years ago. Yep. And um, and then occasionally I'll just pop by your studio and have a cigar. Yeah. You're a cigar man. Yeah. So, uh, I enjoy them. When did you start uh, smoking cigars? Maybe about three years ago. That's it? Yeah. Wow. And then, um, but it helps pass the time, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, they kind of relax me, too. Yeah. So when I'm working and them long hours, right. sometimes I got to work all night, and it's just nice to have a cigar while I'm working. Yeah. Well, I know that you work really hard hours. Like, you'll, you'll uh, you know, when you're on deadline, you're working 24 hours straight sometimes. Yeah. Uh, my longest ever worked was 72 hours. You worked 72 straight hours. How did you live through that? It was uh, it was miserable. Were you delirious at the end? I I felt kind of delirious, <laughs> and oh. just drinking a lot of caffeine. I was working out of my garage. Yeah. I had to send something off to Japan at the time, and yeah, it was. <laughs> and it had to go. Like yeah. it wasn't going to make it on that time. It had to be done. Yeah. So, do you find that you work well under that pressure? <clears throat> You know, we were talking about getting older earlier, and I don't enjoy it so much anymore. <laughs> One of the things that's going is the all-night oh, yeah. work ethic. For sure. I don't really like it. Yeah. You know, I always... It's just the way I work. Yeah. But well, it's I, easier better to have a rhythm so you're not, like, under the gun. But I'm sure you produce some amazing work. Yeah, uh, you know, during on the those final, times, 
Yeah. You know, it's just you're doing the last polishing, and then you, the truck arrives, and you got to put it on in five minutes, you know, and you're like, there it is. It's all done. Yeah, I'm watching the hours go by. Okay, I have two hours. <laughs> Let's get this done. But it, um, one thing with the deadline, it uh, gives me clarity. Because mm-hmm. before the deadline, I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, should I do this? No, nah, that won't look good. But when it's there... I look at it, and it's like, all right, that's what I need to do. I don't second-guess it. Just do it. Move forward and yep. don't move back. Yeah, I think a lot of artists have that where you get sort of stuck and you don't, you know. You Never probably, gets done. When you first see a piece of stone, <clears throat> not coming in, excuse me. <clears throat> when you first see a piece of stone and it arrives and it's a big piece of granite or whatever type of material it is, um, and it arrives and it's just a cube or a slab. How long is it before you start to envision what that can be? And, and then generally, how, how true does that stay to the process? Uh, does it end up looking a lot like that, that idea, the through thread? Yeah, pretty close. So usually when I get stuff that big, it's already, it's usually commissioned. And so I've already got the idea. I see it in my head and... I know exactly what I'm going to do. There's a slight difference, you know, because with a commission, I'll do a smaller model. And then when you uh, point it up, it always is a little bit different, but pretty much right on. Sure. And you're working by hand. It's not like the model is a, a die that you can recreate exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. I can't do that. It's yeah. boring. So is that the process? So when a commission comes to you, you're um, they're saying, hey, we need a particular thing, and then what do you do? Start asking them about what kind of scale or size? Is that the first couple questions, or how yeah, does it normally work? Well, usually they come to me because they see some of my past work. and They'll say, well, we want something here to honor this. So last year I did one for... Muskegon, and it was going to go in the old Indian cemetery. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought of what, to, what would honor that cemetery and that space. And um, so it was, a, it was a contemporary piece. It was um, a 16-foot column, and each face, it's the column design. Yeah incarnation again but each face had seven holes drilled in it and each hole represented the seven grandfather teachings mm. there's love respect honesty bravery truth humility and wisdom so some there's some of the core teachings of my people the Anishinaabe mm-hmm. and that's the people of this area Michigan Wisconsin Minnesota we're a big tribe yeah. And, uh, so it, that's one of the main themes I put in a lot of my work is mm-hmm. the seven grandfather teachings. It's like how we're supposed to live by. Mm-hmm. But how, how did, that um, goes. <laughs> so when you, you mentioned that you moved to West Michigan, so where were you living before? And was it very much uh, immersed in your own culture and, and tribe? And, uh, or did you go to, like, did you live in the city and, uh, or, you know, go to a normal high school and all that stuff? Uh, I had a 
crazy childhood, crazy teenage years. So I never did finish school or anything like that. I got my GED eventually. Uh-huh. But um, I was a wild child. And uh, so when I first moved here, I came from up in the UP, up in Escanaba, Michigan. Yeah. And uh, my girlfriend actually came and got me. She says, all right, you're going to come and live with me down in Grand Rapids. Really? I said, okay, let's go then. Because you were, you were probably worn out your welcome in Escanaba, was that? No, actually, I was in a treatment center. I was in a six-month halfway house. Oh, really? Yep. So part of my story is uh, drug and alcohol addiction mm-hmm. in the past. And uh, so that was my wild teenage and early 20 years. But it hooked you in pretty quick, even during that. Like once, once you started, it was it was something you were pursuing with passion. I would say, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but it became a problem even in high school, right? Oh That's what yeah. You're saying. And I started doing this work, stonework, at the, about the same time. So I started doing this when I was 14. Really. So my mother forced me into a class, and I took it, and I fell in love with it, and been rolling ever since with it. Yeah. But during that time, I went off onto the wild side. And then when I was ready to quit, it was like I had something to do. And so it kind of saved me, too. Yeah. Because when you quit, you're missing something because of that addiction. It takes a big space in your head. So. Yeah onto the stonework and then yeah it just saved me just and filled that gap creatively occupied your time yep gave you some I, I would imagine it gave you some confidence as a person oh yeah because you probably you, you make know. a sale and you feel like a big shooter for a day or two <laughs> <laughs> well also too like uh, yeah just having some self confidence again because when you come out I would imagine if you're coming out of addiction you're you know you're questioning everything about yourself and you sort of feel like uh, a failure I'm sure on a lot of levels and it takes a while to build that confidence back up so you were up so how old were you were you in that treatment center oh shoot I think I was 25 okay and then your girlfriend said you're moving down here yep and since then you've been all right yeah I quit I've been clean for like 21 years amazing man that's awesome yeah it's been it's been a good life down here yeah and you're still it was that penny that brought you down here? yep penny brought you down here yeah that's she why did. <laughs> grabbed me by my ponytail at the time <laughs> <laughs> brought you down so how did you meet penny how did you meet penny back before if you were up in the UP how did you get um how did you meet her? How was she your girlfriend about the time that you went to this treatment center? So uh, we're of the same tribe, and uh, we met at a function. And uh, we just started talking and hooking up, and yeah. Okay. And then, but you, the, you were also in your your wilder phase yeah. at this point. Yep. So what got you into treatment? I'm just curious. You don't have to share it, but like, what was the what was the um, catalyst to get into treatment? Was it a, a legal like problem, or was it just more you're tired and I got to change uh, my life? Yeah, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. There you go. It's one of the old cliches in the AA, but it was yeah. true. Like yeah. I was like, man, 
I got to change my life. I can't do this no more. Yeah. And so I went and checked myself in. And it was like a halfway house with men, other Native men. And it was a six-month program. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty hardcore. You know, you got to do all these meetings. and mm-hmm. But it was also spiritual, like uh, Native spirituality. So I really didn't know it until... I got older, actually, right, and I learned it in those places. Uh, my first sweat lodge, and uh, I learned about the clans and my clan and everything like that. And uh, um, here, just hold on one second. We clear? Yeah. Um. So. So the, the the rehab center, I mean, uh, unique in that it catered to, to native, native men yep. and then in, included aspects of your religion and spirituality yep. to help get you through some back ride, on track. Back on track. And, um, and now it's funny because that informs a lot of your work, right? Yeah. The, uh, yep. And... Um, is that, was that an effect? Do you think... I guess it's not a fair question, but uh, do you think you could have gone to a regular rehab and not that you would know that what that was like was that seems to me and sorry to fill in the blank and stumble across this uh, as a question but it seems to be like that was the perfect time and moment and place for you and be with uh, other natives who have a similar walking a similar path back to health yeah um exactly like that you know it always comes down to that like your time you know yeah I don't think of any other paths, you know. Right. I actually have gone to a, another rehab. You know, it was good. I was real wild. And yeah. I don't mind saying it, you know. Yeah. It was part of my story. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it gives you the appreciation that you have for your life now, you know. Yeah. You know what it can be. You know what it could be, again, if you want, you know, if you were to go back in that direction. But um, but tell me more about the work and how. So the the what what would you say are sort of the underpinnings of your work, even if it's um, anamorphic? Because I, I think of you in both terms. Now you have this whole contemporary side, yeah. But it's rooted in that, yes. But then there's other times you do these big things. There's an, an, a big one in Holland too that has a lot of different uh, animals and turtles and. Oh, that's at. Uh... Grand Valley. That's a Grand Valley, okay. Yeah. Almost to Holland. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's impressive work at scale. So what makes you decide whether something's going to be uh, more of the overtly illustrative nature world or if it becomes kind of abstract? It depends on how I'm feeling. Like, when I went into the contemporary, I had done uh, straight-up animals for years and years, and... It was kind of making me my money, you know? And I enjoyed telling the stories. I gotta say, real quick, that's what I do. It's like, my purpose, one of my purposes is to tell the stories of my people through stone. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of cultures have their um, stories in stone and all that. I'd like it for the Anishinaabe to have some of ours down like that. Yeah. And so I, I put them in stone, and uh, 
I did get sick of it, so I switched over to contemporary, and it was the same stories, the same background, but just told in a different form. Right. And really, I do it just to feed my soul, too. Yeah. It's, you got to keep moving. Well, and that heritage that you keep connecting back to um, and your tribe, are, are there particular things that you try to express that's unique to your tribe that comes out in your work as opposed to maybe uh, some other uh, regional tribe? Are there stories or, uh, or aspects of, of it, or is it all just rooted in being natives? Yeah, rooted in being a Nishinaabe. Yeah. Because a lot of the tribes here, uh, there's Potawatomi, Odawa, Chippewa and Ojibwe, they're mm-hmm. the same. Um, we're the same people. We're the three fires. And that's why I always uh, identify with Anishinaabe, because I have all three of the bloodlines running through me. Okay. And our stories are pretty much the same. So one of the things is the seven grandfathers, is I'm always putting in there. Love, respect, honesty, bravery, truth, humility, and wisdom. So those are the seven ideas that you could uh, integrate into whether an, an abstract piece or... Uh, yeah, I'm just telling the story, like yeah. saying, this is what this piece represents, uh-huh. like what we strive to walk our life by yeah. is by those principles. Well, I noticed on your Instagram account, too, that you spend a lot of time down at the river. Oh, yeah. And you share a lot of great photographs of uh, you're there in the early morning. You're there, uh, it seems like, you know, really the fringes of the day. Um, yeah. And just tell me about why the river is a draw for you today. Is just a place that you like to spend time and clear your head? Yeah. Uh, well, part of my routine is to, I like to go say my little prayers and meditation type of thing. And so I... I go by the river, and it's right on my way to the studio. So that uh, little drive, it's easy to take, and it does. It uh, starts my day off real nice. And Do you go down almost every day? Yeah. That's crazy. I like I, taking I mean, it's pictures. crazy good. I don't mean it's crazy. It's amazing <laughs> that you, you, know, you have that, that routine in a place. But again, it's outdoors. It's your yeah. nature. You're hearing the water and the wind and... All that stuff. And you get to see, like, the changes. You see uh, the river rise. You see the trees change colors. And you get really in tune. I think that's what helps the most. Is, you know, because we are in the city area. But having that little spot of nature and having that being in tune with it really helps me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're right on the... It's a unique region in that. We have the second largest city in the state, but we also have the Lake Michigan, and the, yeah. we have so much water between inland lakes and rivers and streams, and nature that walks right up to the borders of the city too. Um, when did you stumble across your current studio? Because it's quite a, it's it's quite a place. And then you've expanded a little bit. You have a little more space in the in the back too, didn't you? Just you used to have the front part. Or how did that uh, work? Yeah, so the story with that was when I quit the stage work. 
one of the guys had a studio. He was a set builder in 401 Hall. Okay. And I, I said, oh, how much is this? And he told me. I said, man, I should get a studio. And so that's when it started. And then I moved into Godfrey. First, I was upstairs for a good seven years or more. Okay. And I used to work smaller then, but you could still see the floor buckle when I'd move <laughs> stones across it. That's an old warehouse, man. <laughs> yeah. And the floor, those, if those floors can tell a story. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. But I liked the building. Just inspiring being there with those big old windows. and Yeah. Like there's history there with the bricks and the well, old I-beams. And, and it's in the Black Hills, which is traditionally that, that neighborhood was, I think when the, it was settled, was there was a lot of Native Americans that were in that area called the Black Hills. Isn't that true? That not true? I'm not even sure, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, they call it the Black Hills. I know they do yeah. that, but I don't know the history behind sure, it. Sure, sure. Well, but it is that uh, it's not far from the river. It's in an industrial area when the furniture boom happened, and it probably yeah. was some type of furniture manufacturing up there going big time in that whole area back there. But it is a cool space because you have this two, two-and-a-half-story, you know, like this cube where you can get up high around stones, and it's a big space with a lot of daylight, though, in it, yeah. too. Very cold in the winter, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the first shoot we ever did with the, you had this, you were storing somebody's car in there, and uh, a friend or a nephew yeah, or something, I forget. My buddy. Yeah, your buddy's car, and he left, and then the, he was like, oh, you can put it in here for a while, and it had, it, it had so much stone dust on it from you grinding stone that it just looked like a volcano eruption had yeah, happened. It was a stone car. <laughs> Sculpture of a car. <laughs> it really was. But it always amazes me when you take rock that's so hard and when you, um, the stone dust that flies off of it as it accumulates on a car on the floor, or even it's so soft. It's yeah. like softer than flour almost. It's crazy. I don't know if there's a metaphor in there, but it's like uh, that, that residue is uh, really, really a nice. I know you don't want to breathe it, but at the same time, yeah. it's like, but it covers everywhere. It Every does. time I see you, you're the most cleaned up I've ever seen you right I know. now. Because normally you're covered in dust. Everywhere well, I go, I'm all dirty <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you cleaned up well today. Um, well, we had talked a, a little bit right at the outset, too, just about, um, and I've talked to you a little bit in the past at your studio just about... Um, you know, the, our culture today is obviously pr predominantly white, and there's a lot of uh, privilege around that in terms of people just not understanding what it's like to be uh, different than white. And that um, just being Native American, you said brown skin and yeah. other minorities. And so tell me a little bit about your, some, I'm just curious how, how, of your experience in this area. And, you know, this is your, your land and your history. We, you were here long before this was ever, ever settled. So um, what's it like living as a Native American, creating Native-influenced and inspired art, and living and working here in the current climate of uh, 
West Michigan and Grand Rapids through your eyes? Uh, <clears throat> it's been good. Uh, I got to tell you, it's this a story when I first came down, uh, people used to try to save me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like evangelical, like uh, yeah. Christians, they yeah. wanted to save They'd you. They'd come and shake my hand and, do you know Jesus? And I'd be like, what? Say, uh, yeah, I grew up in church. I'm, I was Methodist uh-huh. at one time. But, you know, just stuff like that I thought was kind of crazy. Right. It's a very uh, Dutch Christian reformed yeah. kind of yeah world. People used to stare at me a lot back then. And, you know, some people would say ignorant things because they don't know. And uh, I used to get kind of mad, but then I realized it's, they just don't know. You know, they're, like you said, the predominantly white culture is, they don't see nothing wrong with some of the things they say because it's like, oh, well, we don't mean no harm by it, but it's like, hey. Watch yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. And also just, uh, you know, I carry, I try to be curious and try to, you know, explore and meet people out of my normal thing. I think we are, everybody, doesn't matter who you are, you're kind of routinized into a schedule of your work pattern and school pattern. If you choose to live in a particular part of the city, those are the, you know, you just, you really have to be intentional about going out and broadening your relationship base of friends or whatever it might be. And I think that sort of is a cycle that creates that ignorance. Uh, it, you know, like we were talking earlier, and I try to be understanding. I, I know a lot of my people in particular get mad, and a lot of people in, of color do, but I don't like to carry all that with me, you know. It's, and... Um, I have a hard time explaining it, you know, like the white privilege. Sometimes I have talks with people and it's like uh, my easiest thing is uh, if you could uh, walk in the shoes of a brown person for like a month, you'll see a difference, you know. It's so subtle, like the predominant culture around you is all stacked to one way, one way of thinking, one way of living, and, you know, they don't see it. Right. But, you know, I just roll with it. I do the best that I can, and I actually use, like, my native cultures, like, my work. Right. To, like... um, Well, that's what makes you unique, right? And I think a lot of, like, whether it's whatever collector's base is, I mean, they know that what they're getting... Is uh, there's a that, story? There's a story it. there. Yeah, who you are as a person, how you create your work, where yep. you come from, where your people come from, yep. the heritage is all woven into that. So you do have, you know, if you were just, I don't want to say just, but if you were just some white dude carving, like it's, uh, you know, you that person would have a, a their own story as well. But I, there is this other sort of thing that I think yeah. you've you've integrated into your work and your business really well is that you've honored. The craft, for one, it's your whole life. It's what you do. 
and also you've uh, um, you've also honored every part of your heritage through that expression. So one, you're just incredibly talented with your hands as a, just a human person that can create s- stuff out of stone is amazing. And then you interwive, you know, you intertwine all your inspiration and your culture. It's really fascinating work. And that's why I think you're so successful is because of the authenticity that you bring to just carving and creating and honoring everything. You carry that, like, responsibility with you yeah, to you try. speak through the rock, right? Yep, yep. And is that sometimes overwhelming or is it just something that you're, you're just, it's easy to express for you? Yeah, it is. It's just something I do. It's like my everyday life, and that's what I do. Yep. <laughs> Have you ever thought in the last 20-some years of a plan B for sculpture? Like, I mean, outside of selling your work, you've always been able to sell work. What would you do if you weren't an artist? Do you, do you even give it a thought? No. <laughs> Can you imagine punching a clock again and reporting to some manager somewhere? You know, sometimes I think about that. I like to watch people, you know, and I see them working, like delivery people or something. I just, I think, nah, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't have a boss. Right. I've been independent for so long. I think it's hard. I think we share that. Like, I just, there's times where I think, oh, I yeah, I should probably just go work and create photography and video for some big corporation and take a salary and it'd be a lot easier. And I'm like, no, I'd be miserable. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, with a job like that, it's more stable. Yeah. Being an artist. And I'm sure you understand it's the hustle, you know, you got to think way ahead of where your money's coming in. And like, I'm, I'm a year out on some of my, I do a lot of larger commissions now, and so I'm always putting stuff out there, putting feelers out, and you know sometimes they take a year, six months, but they so they come in and it just well, that takes it a while going. to get paid sometimes too. And your yep. materials, like, uh, just give me an example of a particular stone. Like, how much might you have invested roughly in a, into a piece of rock that comes in from some part of the world? I mean, it has to be. Thousands and thousands and oh, thousands yeah. of dollars. So I did one last year. It was like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, just for just to get it to your studio. Yep. And then nice start. piece of three pieces of granite that I stacked, and yeah, so it's so you have to outlay a lot yeah. to get it back, and then just the roller coaster of uh, kind of feast or famine, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned. Talk about like the times where you feel pretty fat. You know, you get a couple checks in at a, around the same time, and you got you got a little different step to your walk. And yep. then six months after that, you're like, ah, oh, hustling poor. I'm, again, <laughs> yeah. selling little stuff, and <laughs> calling on old clients. Hey, uh, I got this going on right now. <laughs> it doesn't matter the medium. It could be music, could be photography, could be painting, could be sculpture, could be. Uh, anything writing uh, any kind of those creative arts it's like uh it's a roller coaster well because you're at the mercy of the people like if they like your stuff or not if they're willing to pay your price you know 
you know, sometimes I step back and look at it and think, man, I'm real fortunate to be doing this. Like I started when I was 14 and I loved it, but I didn't expect to still be doing it. It just, the career evolved. I always kept doing it. The sculptures kept getting bigger and then here I am. I'm doing large monumental public works and it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, just the gratitude along the way, because you can't plan your destination, you know? I mean, it's like you're on a path that you can't always control, but you're, everything's leading to something, and look what, what it is now, because I think in the last three, four years, and I'm not, not equating it to our first portrait session, but maybe some of these big monumental works have come through the portraits I took of you. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you did make me look cool on there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jason. That zero to do with that. But you know, you it seem, all helps. <laughs> it all does. But the um, but just that progress has been amazing. Just for me, the last three four years to see you know the consistency of these larger scale works. They're they're commissioned by municipalities or universities or casinos or whatever it might be it's uh and these are important statements for those institutions to put up and yeah. they're, they're counting on you to make a statement with that work and make it bold yeah so like uh and i like how they're honoring like uh grand valley got one it was called clans of the anishinaabek and so it was uh all of our some of our clans so there was a turtle, a loon, crane, bear, a marten, and an eagle. I think there's another one in there, but I just like the fact that they chose that to like honor the native people of this area. And so it's sitting down at the Seedman Center, and that's... Downtown, which is right on the yep. right on the river. Yep, right on the river, right yeah. on the Grand River, yeah. and uh, like this area, they say was a meeting place for a lot of the natives back in the day, mm-hmm. with the rapids and the river. In the so, burial grounds, there was all the ceremonial around Johnson Park, and those those areas yeah. over there were all these mounds, and and then we have the mounds down by the Ford Museum that sort oh, of replicate. Fake mounds. Well, they're fake, yeah. But <laughs> I think because we was somehow destroyed the mounds the first yeah. time we went through there. Uh, but it's an homage to you know the 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 real ones. But there are there are real mounds uh, yeah. um, back in the forest around the woods that are still exist. Kind of where I go by the river. Yeah, so I I go down there and and with the mounds. Yeah, there's also these old old stupid oil derelicts too. Yeah. Like the, those, it's like yeah, that's that's in a in a metaphor for like where the world you know you have the Indian barrel or Native American barrel grounds, and then you have these oil derricks just sort of like pumping that are 100, 200 yards away. It's like okay, well, yeah, that's sort of like where it's at. That's just that's where we, yeah, like you said, that's where we're at today. Trying to capitalize no, on the same ground that is sacred to somebody else. No respect. Yeah. For sure. What can you do? Well, you can do what you're doing, which is to continue to voice your your culture through your work. That yeah. all has a, a positive impact towards uh, 
people turning their heads and having a, a broader understanding, even if it's just an encounter at the university or anything that might ask them to uh, uh, force them to ask more questions. Yeah, because some people don't know the tribes around here. Yeah. It's they think of us as like the Western tribes, mm-hmm. and I used to get a lot of that, like my from out west. I'd say no, I'm from here. Right. There's a lot of natives around here. Some people didn't even know. Say, right. Really? Where did you grow up? Well, yeah, and to the extent that the entire continent had natives across all of it. It was started when we landed. You know what I mean? Like the whole the whole eastern seaboard and then yeah. the Great Lakes and then the westerns. Like it wasn't and then down to Central and South America. I mean, they've been there for forever. Yeah. Way before. And we act like, you know, this was just a piece of undeveloped land with a few people on it and uh, yeah, uh, you know savages yeah which was awesome about your t-shirt <laughs> so in the portraits uh, so tell me more about the the t-shirt you wore for our portrait today no oh, yeah the merciless uh merciless savages it's in the declaration of independence <laughs> and i do like to wear it to remind people you know how you, how your people were referred to yeah. in the Declaration of Independence, which is the ultimate sort of like, uh, you know, contrast and like blasphemy of the whole. Yeah, how do you say all men are created equal, but yet they're calling another set of people savages, you know. Right. It's just crazy. It is, but it's a cool shirt, and it's, uh, I'm sure the reactions are always <laughs> yeah, interesting. Some people feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's good. Big brown guy. It's good for us. Yeah. Well, there is a, you are a big guy, and I, I always, every time I uh, shake your hand, I'm always, so uh, your hand just envelops and just years of rock. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful hand. It reminds me of a bear hand almost, you know? Like it could, hey, that's my clan, bear clan. There you go. Well, you got the bear hand because I feel like you could definitely, um, you know, uh, rip my head off with your, uh, with your hands if you needed to. But, um, but just the physical labor, the stamina. I, I found your studio that way, you know, in the summer it's, it's hot. In the winter yeah. it's cold. And you're there on your feet. Just the stamina of doing what you're doing, carving. Yeah, and then... All through winter, I don't even wear gloves. I hate gloves because I like to feel the stone and the tools, even if it's zero degrees. So I work with no gloves all year round. What's your normal routine through the week? I mean, are you how much are you at your studio? Are there particular days you like to take off, or you just work when you want to work? Work when I want to work. You know, sometimes I'm not there much at all because I'm running around for stuff at home or, you know, got errands to do. and It ebbs and flows. Sometimes I'm there all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, all night long sometimes, too. Yeah, for real. Um, talk about, you do have a partnership with LaFonsi Galleries where you can have your work, your represented artist there. And, um, you know, they're the preeminent gallery, I think, in yeah. this entire state, almost. I, I, I don't, I can't really think of a, a more honorable couple in terms of like how they honor artists and represent their work. But they have this amazing client base. Yeah, it's uh, worked out well for me. Yeah, Linda Scott uh, treated me real good. 
Yeah. We have a good partnership going. That's great because they have, uh, they're, they're amplifying your work to an audience that might not stumble on it or find you back on Godfrey in the warehouse yeah. or find you online or, or explore your work through seeing it at Grand Valley or some other place where they might see your name on a piece of you know, finished work installed somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so like when I first approached them, I already had a client base around that done work for Grand Valley and stuff like that. But I had a lot of excess sculptures around, so I thought, well, I need to do something with these. And they're the more of the contemporary work. And so I went to the gallery and I said, hey, you guys want to look at some work? I said, you think you can sell this? And I brought them in. Scott's like, yep. So well, when impressive. I signed a paper that day. <laughs> Got to strike it where it's hot before they change their mind. And they have to take it. But I remember for the, when that relationship started, uh, I remember, I don't know, a couple months later, I happened to go in there for framing or something. And I saw your work in there. And it was some of the work that was like was in that portrait that we had yeah. taken. And it just looked so great in there because they're primarily known for paintings and uh, you know, they, they sell more art by quality artists than any gallery that I know in this area. But they, um, it was so great to see your work vertically, you know, vertically just sort of occupying a, a particular corner. And they spread it out. And they always have the best display. So that's great that you can have the, that work and outlet. And they introduce you to audiences that you might not have. Yep. And it just helps and helps. What are your goals over the next, uh, you know, three to five years? Uh, well, you know, we were talking about other things to do a little while ago, and jewelry, I was thinking of jewelry, because hmm. this work is pretty heavy. It, it is physical. It's hard on my body. And um, I thought, well... Jewelry is like little sculpture. Mm -hmm. It's all about design, and I have a real curiosity about it, so maybe I'll do some jewelry. Yeah. yeah. And keep doing the big ones. I'll never stop. I'll Wasn't that like, I would imagine if it's an artist who's working in stone, when there's probably no better feeling than when someone commissions you for a, 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 a really good budget, to do what you do best and do it at a big scale. Yeah, oh yeah. And to do your design, Yeah. you know? Like they're coming to you for your vision. Yeah. So they give you a little bit of parameters, but you take them and then you, you tell them in your way. Right. And that's what they want. They don't yeah. want to get involved with the process. Yeah. They just want to let you express. Yeah, it is. It's a blessing to yeah. be able to... So if you could just stack up... How many, uh, so how long do some of the bigger commissions take, uh, the bigger stones? I like to give myself nine months, six to nine months. And, and then you'll work me, on it periodically, like you'll touch it and shape it, and then you'll leave it alone for a week or two, and then yeah. come back to it and think about it. Sometimes even a month. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, and the other work will get in the way. Yeah, well, I finish a lot of work at the same time, so... I'm doing the big one. So one of the things I do is I move around. So I have 
several at a time that I work on. Got to keep it interesting. Yeah. And so, like, the big ones, when I start them, maybe the first month I'll hit it real heavy, like mapping it out, cutting all, roughing it all in. That's actually the fun part is roughing it. Mm-hmm. It's the most physical part of the job, running big saws and hammering chisels all day. And and then you the, feel like you really worked at the end of the day <laughs> going home. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to somebody like me who's a complete wimp, uh, you know, just in terms of, uh, I'm, you know, you know, photography is not, you know, it's your Some of these lights look heavy. <laughs> yeah, they are. I'm not saying it's all easy, but it's compared to what you do, it's nothing. But, uh, yeah, that early thrill of just getting at the work and shaping it. And yeah. I'm sort of the same way. I get excited about shoots. And then sometimes that very tail end of finishing or retouching or like that final little dot the I and cross the T before you send it off is sometimes the hardest part to, to, to get to. And maybe that's just part of the creative artist's mind. Like it's hard to see things all the way through at points. Yeah. It's easy uh, to delay. I have a... Uh, in my process, I have stages. So there's the first stage, the roughing in, where you get it to the pretty much shape that it's supposed to be. And then there's the uh, refining process, where you start bringing your, your lines out real crisp and get them angles down real nice. And then there's the polishing. And the polishing and that finish stage Sometimes it's the longest part of the process. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. And that's where assistants come in. It's like, hey, man. It's Apprentice. This, <laughs> this is your job for the next yeah. few weeks or something. Just make it smooth. <laughs> make it beautiful. Yep. Polish. Well, and that's a good use of your time, too, because at that point, you've already expressed the, the shape and the form. And, you know, there's other things you can be doing as a business owner and, the, you know, getting other work, meeting yep. clients, or talking about other commissions, and you don't need to polish something for two weeks. It's probably not the best use of your time. So. Yeah, you got to learn to delegate it. Yeah. I had a hard time at first with doing that because I'm real hands-on. I have my vision. I like to be a particular way. In. Yeah. Um, so the process, oh, shoot, I thought I had another, I had another quick thought. Ah, I'm getting old, man. Me too. Brain's not working. You know, with uh, getting old, I can really feel it now. Am I working? Like, just uh, if I'm uh, at an angle too long, my back, my back's really been acting up in the past couple of years. Yeah. And I'll be 45 here in a few days or so. Yeah. And so I'm well, starting to feel it. Yeah. I'm 51, and I'm trying to get back in shape. We were talking about that, too, yeah. but, like, you know, we go up and down, but, uh, you know, now uh, we're doing a little bit of working out. I, even after, like, four weeks, I can feel three, four weeks is what I've been back doing it three, four times a week, and I already feel uh, your core. My core is a little stronger, so it helps. It doesn't help. You, you can't know. see your cheeks <laughs> below your eyes. <laughs> that's when you know. Yeah, that's when it's, it's time, time to lose weight. To back off the food. You know? <laughs> You're getting puffy and swollen from too much eating. But um, well, cool. Uh, 
what else uh, is coming up for you? You you do quite a bit of travel. To you go to different um, art festivals, Native Native American uh, well, art I'm, festivals. I'm about to go to one in a couple weeks, the Herd Museum, and so like I used to do them quite a bit. I do like the Herd Museum, Santa Fe Indian Market, uh, Idol York Museum down in Indianapolis, and they're like these premier. Native art shows. They're like a juried process. You have to get a booth, and but you also get like ribbons and all that stuff. And there's a lot of collectors who come with checkbooks just to buy Native work. Mm-hmm. And there's jewelers, painters, sculptors. And they're like top of the line. Just going there inspires you. Like, kind of puts you in your place. You're like, damn. Yeah, I better up my game. Look at this guy's stuff. Yeah, some of the work I'm so impressed with you that gives me that wow factor is this: you carve these things; they seem to be floating, and they're stood on edge. And also these, you know, you'll take what was a square or something, but it really becomes like this elliptical sort of form that I don't even know how. I mean, I just cringe. You, I wonder if you how many of those you break that are disappointing. You know. Because they're so, they seem so delicate at the same time. They are uh, stones, uh, trippy like that because it's real hard and dense. Some of it, and uh, but yet it's delicate. Its own weight can destroy the piece. And I, I enjoy finding that balance. Like I can hear it when I'm working it, and it goes past us beyond a certain point. It's like oh. This is it. I better stop now. Otherwise, it'll break. Yeah. And uh, the stone has a sound. So you can hear it. When it rings, it's still solid. But when it's like a thud, it means there's a crack in there. Mm. Amazing. And at the same time, you're using these power tools that also have like a... Diamond. A lot of diamond tools. Noisy. Yep. Yeah, I throw on my earbuds and jam out. <laughs> I listen to books. Yeah, podcasts. I hope. I'm just getting into them <laughs> after I started listening to yours. Yeah, well, I invited you last year, and it was like uh, you just—I totally respect you. Kind of put pause on it. And you're like, well, and then I invited you again. You didn't ever said no, but it was just like, uh, yeah, I didn't feel I had much to say. Yeah. Well, you got a lot to say, buddy. You do. There's a lot uh, going on with your work, uh, your business, your studio, uh, just your life. And uh, it's been fun to to watch you as an artist grow and uh, see your success. And it's fun to be able to pop in. I can always count on you. It's like if I want to do a cool portrait, I'm going to go to Jason's because, for one, it's your cool-looking dude in a cool-looking space doing something so unique that I don't know anybody else that works like you do in this region. Are there other yeah. carvers in the region, like in Grand Rapids, that have just what uh, you have? No, they work. They all work with me. Right. But, like, I'm the only guy really yeah. doing it full full time like this. Right. I think there's only maybe a handful in Michigan that do what I do. Right. At your scale, I mean, to have the capacity, I'm sure there's a lot of hobbyists that are, you know, yeah, polishing. Yeah, I think only a couple yeah. doing it at my scale. Yeah. 
And you know, that's like one of the challenges I enjoy. It's like, all right, let's see if I could do this at 20 feet. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, thank you for coming in, man. I, um, we'll do it again down the road. I would love to, uh, I'd love to chat again in a year or two and see, see what's up. But uh, you're always somebody that I've uh, looked to for inspiration, just to see somebody hustling and grinding, like literally grinding, yeah. hustling and grinding your work <laughs> yeah, to make you, a sale. And there's nothing more, uh, there's no bigger honor, I think, or respect I have for somebody that makes literally uh, their entire life and living and your sort of your meditation is your work too. So yeah, the fact that a whole thing comes together and these objects that you can see uh, at a massive scale, sometimes, sometimes smaller, but uh, no bigger respect that I could pay to you is just to say that I, I love your work. You're a, a become a good friend. You're always somebody I enjoy talking to and meeting up with. And I just hope that, uh, you know, your back stays, <laughs> stays in place so we yeah. can see even bigger stuff, bigger commissions down the road. Yeah. I, I've been doing exercises for my back lately. You and me both. We should go to the gym together and yeah. keep, keep each other on track. Yeah. Accountable. First, we should go for tacos. Uh, <laughs> First tacos, <laughs> then a cigar. And thank you yeah. for the cigar. You got me a cigar. Yeah. You brought me a cigar. And we, we normally, when I pop by the studio, that's one thing. We, you always pause the work and we have a little cigar, which I love. So uh, appreciate it, buddy. And thanks for coming in again. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. You got it. Hey, who doesn't want a friend that says, hey, when you want to work out and be accountable as workout buddies, he says, let's go get some tacos before we go work out. I mean, that right there in a nutshell is Jason Quigno. It's why I'm on the same same wavelength as he is. And, um, you know, tacos first, then workout, then maybe a cigar. So that's a pretty good trifecta of life right there. And um, he's just somebody I, I, I really have, I just love seeing him. Every time I bump into him or pop by his studio, I'm like, you know what? This guy's doing monumental work. And, and just as a, not just his work itself, but just monumental work on himself. He's, he, he if you follow him on social media, if you go to uh, his Instagram account, he, he just posts these wonderful photos down by the Grand River as a source of inspiration. And, and you should check out his Instagram page. And just uh, all the portraits and video excerpts for this episode, this is a really good one to go check out on the fullexposurepodcast.com episode page for Jason. You'll see all the portraits I've shot of him at his studio. They're worth checking out. You get a sense of where he works, how he works, and just how physical the work uh, is that he does in uh, carving stone. So I hope you guys have a great week. Let's go get it, everybody. All right. This Full Exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life.